This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. We want to welcome all of you that are online. We love you. We're glad you're here. And uh, we hope that as we partake of the Word of God, that you'll move off of your seats and come to church sometime. You need to be in fellowship with other, script, uh, with other believers. The scripture teaches us that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Now we know the, through the, the beauty of, of technology, we can reach out to each other, but boy, I'll tell you, you can't take the place. You can't replace being together. So we want to encourage you to join us in person next week. The rest of you, grab five people, give them a hug, a handshake, a kiss if they're your wife, and let's take our seats. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. Great job. Amen. So I've been, uh, I've been teaching for a couple of weeks on the topic and the subject of sanctification. Sanctification. And I'm going to pick up that up today. This will probably be my last message on this topic uh, in this cycle, in this uh, season. But, uh, boy, I just couldn't get off of it. I felt like God was dealing with me. I think he's dealing with the church. I think he's dealing with the body of Christ at large about being holy, about sanctification and what that means. And uh, so today's title of the message is Sanctification, Honorable Vessels, Honorable Vessels. And uh, I, I would really like you to open your Bibles, and, and I, I'm going to encourage you that when you come to church, bring a real Bible, bring a pen, bring a notebook, and, uh, you know, study, study to show yourselves approved. And we're going to read that scripture today, but uh, Open your Bibles now to the second book of Timothy, the second chapter, and we're going to read from verses 14 through 26. 14 through 26. It says, of these things, now you have to understand what this is. This is the Apostle Paul, and he's talking to a, a young pastor. His name is Timothy, and, and, and Timothy was a bit of a timid guy to start with, and, but he was a good pastor. He was uh, a good man, and he had a, a blossoming faith, the faith of his mother and the faith of his grandmother. And uh, Paul had already commended him. And now this is the second time that Paul's writing, the second letter to Timothy, and he's uh, charging them. He's speaking to them about what they need to do and the direction they need to go. And he says, of these things, put them in remembrance. He's talking about the church. Speak to the church and put them in remembrance. Charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. So he says, charge them not to strive about words, because that subverts hearers. He says, study rather to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their word will eat as does a cancer. So he's saying when you have these vain babblings, you have these arguments, you have these contentions, when you have quarreling, he says those lead to something that's like a cancer or a gangrene. You know, I've had my experience in this country with people that have had gangrene. During the war, I saw people that would be wounded and uh, didn't get treatment in time and, and gangrene would set in. I, I, I've had many, many, many people that have had diabetes and somehow they get a small wound on a foot or a limb or a finger or something like that, and because their circulation is so bad that it becomes gangrenous, and eventually there's amputations. It's a, it's a terrible, terrible thing. Cancer, the same way I've seen many people. It seems like once that cancer 
is set, unless you know what to do and you catch it quickly, it can ravage the human body. And that's what Paul's talking about. He says, and some of these, he says, this canker set in, he says, of whom Hymenus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and they overthrow the faith of some. And, and let me tell you something. Sometimes we err. We err in our doctrine. There's a lot of Christians that have really strong doctrines that are erroneous. You know, and, and, and here's what I'm saying. Don't fight over doctrine. Because it hurts the hearers. Look, contend for the faith. Have good, strong conversations, but be willing to let people grow. Don't, 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 don't divide. Don't allow division over some weird doctrine. Now, you know, I mean, some things we know are true. And, but, you know, I, I've always said this. A man persuaded against his will is of the same opinion still. You know, I can, I can probably win the argument, but I lose the war. So I, sometimes I just leave people in their ignorance. I, uh, there's a lot of people that have a lot of weird doctrine out there. Some of you are fighting today over the rapture. You know, some of you say the rapture is going to happen next month, you know, or, or next week, or, or that, you know, that we're all going to get raptured. Others say, no, we're not going to get raptured. Well, hey, that's okay. Those are two opposing opinions. And there's 50 more in between. Let's not fight over it. Let's just say, hey, we don't know, because you don't know. Now, you think you know, because right? you know, you're so, such a biblical scholar, you've read the Bible three times. But see, the fact of the matter is you don't know. And, and there's scholars and many scholars that have gone before all of us that have held lots of differing positions. So why don't we read it all and study it all and then say, hey, listen, what we know clearly we can hold fast to. What we don't know, let's limit ourselves in our conversation, not to quarrelsome arguments, but to wholesome debate. If it's dividing you, if it's dividing the body of Christ, it's not wholesome. And it's like a canker. It's like a cancer. It's like a gangrene. I just tap your neighbor and say, you know, I, I think that uh, Pastor Tom is preaching better than you're amening this morning. Amen? So uh, the Bible says this. Nevertheless, the foundation of God stands sure, having this seal. Now, now we, we know that the foundation of God is his word. You know, and, 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 and again, let me just exhort you a little bit. I'm kind of shocked at Christians who are willing to go to a prophet to get a word, but they won't study the Bible to get a word. They believe the word of a prophet, but they, Bible, the Bible teaches us that we've been given a much more sure word of prophecy called the Bible. So why would you believe a prophet when the Bible says something very much more clearer? Why are you looking for a prophet when you can get the word from the Lord himself? I'm shocked at how many of you Wake up one morning and you think you heard the voice of God and so you act on it and you have no confirmation. The Bible says, let everything be established out of the mouth of two or three witnesses. How many of you know that you may hear a word from God, but it may take 15, 20, 50 years before it comes to pass? But you're acting on it like God said to do it and you're doing it today and God says, no, I didn't mean for you to do it today. I just showed you what was going to come in the future. But you have nobody that you talk to. You're a law unto yourself. You don't listen to anybody. You just do whatever you want to do. And so you're really not part of the body of Christ. You're really not part of the sequence that God uses. And so you've made yourself a grape instead of being a part of the cluster. And the grape that's not part of the cluster is a raisin. It dries up. Hmm? 
did this congregation lose its amen? How about oh my? All right. Nevertheless, the foundation of God, his word, his son, he made the word become flesh that dwelt amongst us. His word and his son are the same. Stands sure. Having this seal. Here's the seal. God says, I seal my word. The Lord knows them that are his, and everyone that names the name of the Christ will depart or must depart from iniquity. That's the seal. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Now, when I grew up in the church, I'll never forget the first pastor that preached that message. He came up and he says, well, you know, folks, some of you are going to just be vessels unto honor, and others are vessels to dishonor. You know, that's just how God is. Some are vessels unto honor, gold and silver. Others are vessels unto dishonor. You know, and you should just be happy because you're in the house of the Lord. Praise God. And so if God uses you to take out the trash, that's okay. At least he's using you. <laughs> Anybody ever hear that message? Yeah, I did. Boy, I grew up and I, and I thought, well, maybe if I could just be a trash vessel. I mean, that, that's that, that, I guess, because that's all I thought I was worth. But that's not what the Bible says. It says, if a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel to honor, sanctified. Sanct there's the word, that's what we're studying. Sanctified and meet for the master's use, prepared unto every good work. So what do we need to purge ourselves from? He says, if you, per, if you cleanse yourself, if you make yourself holy, you'll be that vessel of honor. He says, it has something to do with you, not with the vessel. He says, flee youthful lusts, follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, know that they do gender strifes. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but he must be gentle to all men. Apt to teach, patient and meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. See, the Bible says that if you're a, that you can oppose yourself. I watch a lot of men and women that they're opposing themselves. They don't know it, but you're getting into arguments. You're getting into all kinds of strife. You're getting into all kinds of things you shouldn't be dabbling in. And what happens is you're dissipating the anointing. You're dissipating yourself. You're spending all of your energy, all your time on things that are sapping your strength. And, 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 and in so doing, you're opposing yourself. You're your own worst enemy. Whew, tough crowd today. It says, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging the truth. God's saying, hey, pray for these people. He says, he says, he says uh, instruct those, be patient with them, teach them that are opposing themselves, that maybe God will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. These are snares of the devil and the devil takes them captive whenever he wants to, at his will. But I, I don't know, how many of you know somebody or how many of you have ever been in the place where you just have certain things that take you captive you, and you can't shake them? I mean, no matter what you do, it's like, you're going along good and you're doing along good and all of a sudden, man, the devil just, and you know, you know where it came from and the devil takes you captive. See, God says, hey, we, that's the things that we want to help each other with. That's where the body of Christ comes in. That's where you got to be honest. That's where we have to have fellowship. We have to say, man, I am struggling in this area. I need your help. Uh, and, and, and guess what? You can't do that alone. 
That's why we have the church. As Christians, we're called. We're called to build on the firm foundation, the word of God, that the scripture says stands sure. And we know that it is sealed with the seal of God. Later on, we're going to see that we're exhorted to contend for his kingdom or to contend for the glory of God. As believers, we're to depart from sin, we're to pursue holiness, and we're to take part in doing so with other saints, with each other. Paul reassures Timothy that God's foundation stands. His firm foundation is one that stands. It's unshaken. It's the bedrock of what we believe. It's the word of God. His promises are sure. Then Paul says, having this seal. Now, here's something you need to understand about a seal. A seal used to be something that was like an inscription. It was a, they would take a, there's many seals, but one of the examples is they take a piece of wax and they melt it and then they put the signet ring in it and it leaves the seal. It has always an inscription on it. So he's saying that having this seal, well, another picture of a, of, of a, of a seal that has an inscription is think of a coin. Every coin has an inscription. And when both sides of the coin, the inscription on each side are intact, that coin has something that's called, it becomes legal tender. That coin has something that's, it becomes a value. It has usefulness. Paul says upon this seal, there are two inscriptions. And in the case of this verse, the one side of the coin says, the Lord knows those who are his. The Lord knows those who are his. And will not forget them. On the other side, he says, those who are his depart from iniquity. He knows those who are his, and those who are his depart from iniquity. There's the two, that's the seal, it's a double-sided seal. And if we do that, that's called sanctification. The Lord knows who are his people, and he knows those who obey him. Another way of saying it is that one side of the coin gives us comfort and assurance. The other side of the coin gives us responsibility. Paul openly states the fact that in a great house, there are all kinds of vessels, some more honorable than others, some less honorable. Some vessels are described as being of silver and of gold. Others are described of, and, and, they're, and they're for noble purposes. Others are described as being of clay and of uh, Wood, and therefore ignoble, or not so noble purposes. There are certain characteristics of a useful or honorable vessel that Paul delineates, and he says there's two central ideas around this theme, saying that those who belong to the Lord should strive for cleanliness, for sanctification, for purity, for holiness. And so if we're going to be useful to God, we must have, number one, a clean character. A clean character. We picked this up in 2 Timothy 2.15. It says, do your best, do your best to present yourself to God as one that's approved. A workman who does not need to be ashamed, but who correctly handles the word of God. Boy, if ever we've needed to correctly handle the word of God, it's today. I've never seen such incorrect handling of the word of God as there is in the body of Christ today. This is not a platform for entertainment. 
Now, we can be entertaining, and, I'm, and, and I hope that sometimes I do entertain a little bit, not to keep your interest, but, not, but not, not, not that I'm here to make you laugh and have a good time and feel good about yourself, but that in the midst of being punched, you also get to laugh a little bit. You see, Tim, Timothy was leading a growing church, the Ephesian church, and uh, Paul is charging him. He's saying, Timothy, be careful that your character is beyond reproach. You see, the purpose of knowledge, biblically speaking, is not about knowledge to, so that you can show me how intelligent you are, or how smart you are, or how much you can memorize, or how much actual biblical knowledge you have. It's about character. The purpose of biblical knowledge is to build character. It was extremely important that the people saw Timothy as one who was living a life that pleased God and brought honor to the name of God and to the church. Now, many of you say, well, we're not in such a high profile in the church, and, and so it doesn't really apply to us. Well, that's not, that's not true. Uh, we are not exempted from the need for a clean character just because you're not in a church position. You see, it's important that wherever we are, we understand that God has allowed us to move and to represent him as ambassadors in whatever sphere of authority we find ourselves in. We are not our own. We've been bought with a price. We've been purchased. Clean character is a necessity no matter what is our station in life. Character has to do with our heart, by the way. Character is who we are and what we do and what we are when no one is watching. That's real character. The Bible says that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways, or a double-souled man. And, and, and here's how you know if you're double-souled or double-minded. You find yourself in the church being one way, you find yourself at work being another way. You find yourself at the golf club being another way. You find yourself at the school acting differently. You find yourself with your employees talking one way and to your employer talking another way. You see, a true human being that is sanctified, that is whole, is the same person in every situation. He's not fluctuating. Does the culture lend itself to this? Yes. What does the culture say? Tell the boss what you think you want him to hear. Not what you really believe, not who you really are. So you're double-souled already, and you should expect to receive nothing from God. See, we have to get to the place that our characters are the same. How many of you are one thing to your wife in public and another thing in private. How many of you are one thing to your children in public and another thing in private? How many of you are one thing in church and another thing at home? Each of us should strive to live a life that is approved before God. John Wesley provides probably one of the most convincing analysis on what it means to be a true servant of God. He says this, do all the good you can by all the means you can and all the ways you can and all the places you can and all the times you can so that 
to all the people you can as long as you can. That was a pretty good statement, don't you? I wish I would have had that. I wish I would have thought of that. Do all the good you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you can. That might be worth memorizing. Amen. The second thing is clean speech. One thing is clean character. The second is clean speech. 2 Timothy 2.16, the next verse says, But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase to more and more godliness. How many of you have ever heard yourself say something and wish you'd never said it? How many of you hear words going out of your mouth and say, ee, and then regret it? Oh, I wish I'd never, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, those vain babblings are increasing ungodliness in your life. Paul warns Timothy and you and I against quarreling about words. He says it's of no value. It only ruins those who listen. We should avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in godless chatter will become more and more ungodly. Paul warns that this kind of quarreling about words leads to erroneous teaching that will act and spread like gangrene, that will spread like cancer. So ask yourself, is your speech clean? Is it good? Is your conversation sound? Is what you speak about necessary? See, we're warned about the misuse of our tongue. James chapter 1 and verse 26, if any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceives his own heart, that man's religion is in vain. There's lots of warnings. The Bible says, keep your mouth, keep your speech clean. The Bible says in, in, the, in the book of Proverbs, it says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it eat thereof. You're creating your world by the very words that come out of your mouth. And if you're living in a death-filled world, it's you. You created it. You made it. So God says, sanctify your speech. Third, we need to understand that there is a clear salvation. The Bible says, the Lord knows those who are his. You see, where there's constant struggle in our character or in our speech... I think we need to re-examine ourselves and see if we are really in the faith. We must ask ourselves two questions. Am I saved? And am I sure I'm saved? You see, salvation isn't just coming forward at a little altar call here. And, no, 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 no. That may be a start, but get me, let me tell you something. There comes a moment in time where there's a heart condition, there's a change. That didn't change you, but I'll tell you what, salvation changes you. We have to ask ourselves those questions. To be, sa to be saved means that we have trusted Christ as our Savior. It means that we receive the forgiveness of sins and the salvation that he bought with his own blood on the cross of Calvary. It means that we have claimed Christ and his promise for ourselves. We do that by first admitting our need of forgiveness and turning from our sins with God's help. The Bible says that all have sinned. How much is all? How many is all? So point at your neighbor, say, you're a sinner. Point at somebody, say, you're a sinner. And then point at yourself. Say, so am I. We've all sinned. Just tell them, say, we've all sinned. 
I've sinned. Unfortunately, we all still sin. The next thing we have to do is we have to believe that Christ died for us and that he rose from the grave. And then we must call on him for the forgiveness of our sin and for his free gift of eternal life. Now, if we're serious, he meets us at the point of our faith and he saves us from the power of sin. If we're serious, it's at that moment that we receive an assurance in our hearts, in our minds, that our sins are forgiven and that we will spend eternity with him in heaven when we die. I heard someone say this. It says, God will not condemn you for being born a sinner, but for dying as one. Think about it. So if you're here this morning and you do not have that assurance right now, you can have it. You can have it right now. Romans 10, 8 through 11 says this, but what saith it? The word of faith, or the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we speak, or which we preach. That if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. The whole purpose of salvation is that we believe in our heart and then we say with our mouth. And when you can really believe in your heart and really declare with your mouth, then and only then are you saved. Not because your mother brought you to church, not because your grandparents were Christians, not because you grew up in the church, not because you want to have fire insurance so you don't go to hell. Not that you want to be around nice looking girls or boys. You just want to find a good wife or a good husband or, hey, you kind of like these people. Maybe God will, you know, some of that magic will rub off on you. It's not magic. See, once we understand and know that we're truly saved, we should have a compelling desire to become a useful vessel for the Lord. I think another way of saying it is this. Salvation is the first step leading to sanctification, which leads to my fourth point, which is continuous sanctification. In verse 21, it says this. If therefore a man keeps himself clear of, this, of these latter, of these latter, these, 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 these weaknesses, these sins, these, these fleshly desires, he himself will be for honorable use, consecrated, fit for the master's service, and fully equipped for every good work. Last few weeks, we've been looking at this subject of sanctification, and we know that it means to be set apart, set apart for God. In the scriptures, it means especially to be set apart for God. But I also want to give you the other side of the coin, the other side of the meaning, which means to be set apart from the world and from sinful behavior. Jesus prayed for his disciples. He prayed for you and me in his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. He says in verse 14, I have given them thy word and the world has hated them. Let me tell you something. If you are in the word and if you're in the church and the world doesn't hate you, you're not in the word. You're not in the church. The world hates us. The world hates the word of God. I've given them thy word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from evil. 
They are not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them through the truth. Thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so also I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for thee alone, but for them also, which shall believe on me through their word. So Jesus is uh, desiring that his followers would be sanctified through the word of his Father. He was the word made flesh. He says, I'm, I'm going to not only am I, is God going to uh, sanctify you, he's going to show you how to be sanctified, how to live a sanctified life. I am the word made flesh amongst you. You're going to be able to see the full expressed image of God in, on earth. And this is how you're supposed to live. And he says, not only for me, but you're going to be able to have a lifestyle that helps others be sanctified as well. When you preach to them, when you live before them, when they see the way you live. First Thessalonians goes on to say this in verses 1 through 8, chapter 4. It says, furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and we exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as you have received of us how you should walk and how you should please God, so you would abound more and more. So he's saying, hey, this, 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 this process of sanctification should abound more and more in your life. For you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. This is the will of God, that you be sanctified. That you should abstain from fornication. That you should not, that, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and in honor. Not in the lust of concupiscence. Some of you don't even know what that word means. Go look it up. Look it up. Not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles, which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter. Because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we have also forewarned you and testified. For God has not called us to uncleanness, but to holiness. Therefore, he therefore that despises, despises not man, but God, who has also given us unto us his Holy Spirit. He says, don't despise what God's doing. Don't despise this work. Don't despise being coming sanctified. He says, because if you despise it, you're despising the work of God that is going on in your life. Work with God. He goes on in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23, he says, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. I pray that your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless into the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul's saying is that he wished us that the that, that believers would be sanctified completely. That means through and through. You see, we are initially set apart and sanctified when we come to Christ, when we're born again. But that continues to grow in him. It's a process. The process of sanctification can kind of be compared to an iceberg, which, as it appears, almost 90% of the iceberg is underwater. But as the sun shines on the iceberg, the exposed part begins to melt moving the lower parts more and more upwardly. Does that make sense? In the same way, we are usually aware of only a small part of our sinfulness and our need, which is all that we can deal with at any one time. However, as the light of God begins to work in our lives, it changes us in the areas that we know about. And then we become aware of new areas as those are melted off of us, as those are cleansed, as those are purified.
How many of you know that if God were trying to deal with us, instantly we would despair? You know, the Bible gives another picture of this in marriage. He says that husbands, he says, wash your wives. He says with the washing of the word. Wash them with the word. And, and, and you know, some of us want our wives to change so badly that we take out a fire hose and we just shoot them down and we think that we can get them cleaned up. There you be. Get, you know, you should be holy. You should be saved. And I'm cleaning you with the word. But the real picture of this is how Jesus washes us. He's gentle. And he takes and he dips into a, pot, a, 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 a bowl of water and he pours it over your head gently, washing you, washing you. It's a process. None of us are cleansed overnight. None of us are cleansed instantly. If you want your wife to grow and change, cleanse her with nurturing and cherishing and gentleness as you speak the word to her. And you missed a great chance to say amen, ladies. Amen. amen. But there comes a time in a believer's life when we have to come to a point that we need to decide who we're really going to live for. Ourselves or God. See, God's been speaking to us and we see that he wants to do a work in us and through us, but we need to be willing to submit everything to him. You see, continuous sanctification takes a major adjustment in our attitude. Paul suggests that continuous sanctification is accomplished in three ways. By the, way, by, by, by the things we run from, by the things we run towards, and by the people we run with. Number one, he says, flee the evil desires of youth. Run away from evil. Run away from evil desires. He says, we have to flee those things that tend to please our selfish flesh. And that list is endless. There's so many things that are fleshly and carnal. There was a book written a long time ago by an author. It was called In His Presence. Some of you may have read it. It centered around a town who was facing a challenge. The sinfulness was terrible. There was drug addiction. There was problems. It was set back in the early end of the 18th century. And, uh, it was a, 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 and there was a preacher there. And he, and he was at despair. And he, and he preached a, a, a Sunday message. And the convicting power of God came upon the congregation. And they, they collectively made a decision that they would do nothing until they asked themselves and each other, the question, what would Jesus do? Now, this has been commercialized in the church today, and, and, and there was a time that, uh, and, 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 and maybe there still is, that jewelry, bracelets, books, and stickers, all kinds of things had the initials on them, WWJD. And it became more of a slogan and a cliche than an actual working out of something in our spirits, in our lives. I think it needs to be more than just a slogan or a piece of neckwear or a bracelet. I think God really does want us to ask, what would Jesus do? It's a tough question to ask ourselves. It's even harder to live out in our daily lives. Does this act glorify God? Does, does it please God? Does it strengthen or does it weakness my witness for Christ? See, we must continually run from sin and resist its attraction. Number two, we must pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. See, we have to pursue holiness, which means 
growing in our faith and in our love for God and his people and his world and, and the whole world. Then we have to grow our relationship with others. We can't just settle to have the peace of God in our own hearts. We have to learn to live in peace with God and in peace with one another. I'm, I'm so tired of this kind of private Christianity. There is no such thing as private Christianity. The Bible gives a picture. He says, and all the pictures are of a collection. We're like a temple. Lively stones joined together. We're like a vineyard. Grapes. You're like a cluster of grapes. How many of you know that there's life in the cluster? But if you get removed, you become a raisin. Some of you are raisins. You're drying up because you're not in a cell group. You're not in a cluster. You're not fellowshipping with others. You're not having rough edges rubbed off you. You thought the church was just, ooh, I just, this is wonderful. I'm just going to be so, just like you thought marriage would be that way. Dr. John Gottman says about marriage, he says that only 9% of people in marriage agree on anything. In a marriage, he says, you only agree on 9%. He says, the, he says the other 91% is full of disagreement and contention. He says in successful marriages have learned how to deal with the contention and the strife. Masters of communication. Masters of learning how to agree disagreeably or disagree agreeably. Masters of being able to communicate and talk about what they disagree with. Oh, and you thought that, hey, I married her and I thought she would just fall in line. Or he, I married him and I thought he'd just love me the way I am. You thought that about the church too. If I just go to the church, it's just going to be full of lovely people and we're just going to all love each other. What? The day you joined the church, it became imperfect because you joined it. We all have faults. We all have problems. We come to church to work out those issues. And you get into a cell group. And, 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 and let's, guess what? You have to learn the, Ill, the skill and the art of how to have a communication and a relationship. Some of you are just lazy. You don't want to do that. You just want, you just want oh, it's all about you. It's not about working anything out. It's not about character. It's not about anything. It's just about some kind of weird, weird concept. It's not the church. We pursue righteousness. We pursue faith. We pursue love. We pursue peace. With God and with each other. Three, we follow in the company of those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. We must run with those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. We must choose to run with the right crowd. See, you and I are called to be witnesses to a dying world. We, we, we pray for the lost and we strive to be friends to everybody but we run with the saints why because the saints are the ones who hold us accountable the saints strengthen our walk the saints help us when we fall saints are good to everybody but especially to the household of faith that's why I think cell groups are so important if you're not in a cell group you need to get in one it's been too long now oh I'm afraid of COVID oh stop it oh stop it ridiculous now. This is getting ridiculous. We got to stop fear. We got to start having faith. We got to rise up and, and it's time for us to get back together. We run from sin. We run from sin. We run after holiness and we run with the saints. 
See, let me, let me close this. God, God, God wants to set us apart entirely for his work, his purpose. He wants you and I to set ourselves apart, perfecting our hearts in love for him. And in so doing, it gives us power and it gives us grace to respond to the work of the Holy Spirit and to say no to willful sin. There's two parts of this wonderful work of sanctification that I want you to consider. The first part is ours, called outward consecration. That means cleansing ourselves to become vessels unto honor. Consecration means that we are committing everything to God, that we're endeavoring to love one another and to love God with our whole heart, our whole soul, our whole mind, and all of our strength. Jesus said this is the greatest of all the commandments, to love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. We're placing our whole life on the altar and we're dedica dedicating our entire being to God. That's a, that's a huge step. I guess in, in, in practical terms, that means that we're deciding to live our life to the glory of God in every way possible. We'll do our job for his glory. We'll relate to our families for his glory. We'll worship him for his glory. In fact, we'll do everything we can to enhance our relationship with him. We're consecrating ourselves to him and for his glory. That's our part. That's our part. Then there's God's part. So outward sanctification is our part. Inward sanctification is his part. See, when, we, when, when you and I consecrate ourselves entirely to God, the Holy Spirit fills you completely. He sets us apart and he empowers us to live a life. The very life that we've committed to living. One that we said, that's the one I want. Now, I want you to understand something. It is impossible for us to do this on our own. You can't do this on your own. We need the Spirit to give us the motivation and the ability to live for Him. The Holy Spirit cleanses us. The Holy Spirit makes us a useful vessel fit for noble purposes. He gives us the power to walk away from temptation and to run with Him and run to Him. If we're finding ourselves failing to overcome in an area, persisting in sin, or simply running around in defeat, it may need or may mean that we need to let the Holy Spirit begin to work in our lives again. See, we have to let him have his way with us. By the way, believe me, his ways are always better than our ways. There's a pastor, by the way, this pastor is not me, but he finished his message early one Sunday, unlike me. And he wanted to check on his congregation's understanding, so he asked, the congregation, he says, can anyone tell you what you must do before you can obtain forgiveness of sin? There was a short pause, and then from the back of the room, a little boy raised his hand and spoke up. He says, you have to sin. <laughs> now, now, I suspect that the problem of fulfilling that prerequisite was not hard, okay? I, we don't have a problem doing that. I think we all, uh, I think we all fulfill that. But Jesus reveals another prerequisite for God to forgive. And that's our willingness to forgive others. The same way that you've been forgiven, forgive others. See, we have to ask for and allow the Holy Spirit's sanctifying power to live in our lives and our hearts. We really need to start today. 
Let me encourage you to today separate yourself for noble purposes by asking God to separate you for his work and for his glory. Let me close with this story. True story. In 1818, one out of every six women who had children died of something called childbirth fever. One out of every six women that had children in 1818 died of childbirth fever. Get that number. Now back then, a doctor's daily routine started in the dissecting room where he performed autopsies. From there, he made his rounds to examine expectant mothers. No one, ever, no one even thought to wash his hands, at least in, not until a doctor named Ignaz Schimmelwiss began to practice strict hand washing. He was the very first doctor to associate a lack of hand washing with the huge fatality rate. He had been reading, he was a Jewish man, he was reading of the cleansing laws in the book of Leviticus. And he began to practice them. Dr. Schimmelwiss only lost one in 50. Yet his colleagues laughed at him. Once he said this, he said, childbirth fever is caused by decomposed material conveyed to a wound. I have shown how it can be prevented. I have proven all that I have said. But while we talk, 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 women are dying. I'm not asking for anything world-shaking, only that you wash your hands. Yet virtually no one believed him. Let me tell you something. Jesus is not asking anything earth-shaking from us. John writes this. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need to confess our sins so that we can regularly wash our souls before God. It's essential. The failure to confess our sins will result in spiritual infection that will hinder our ability on our spiritual journey. Your part isn't to make you noble. That's God's part. Allow him to make you a useful vessel, fit for noble purposes. Let him cleanse you and perfect your heart to love him, to empower you for his service. Now let me speak to someone. some of us that were once clean that were once useful vessels that were once set aside for noble purposes but now we've allowed ourselves to become vessels for ignoble purposes we may have allowed sin to pollute us and to dirty us so that we feel unworthy to be used for noble purposes let me assure you that forgiveness and cleansing are available to all of us for me for you, for anybody who wants it. Let me read it again. If we say that we have not sinned, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful to forgive our sins and to cleanse us, to sanctify us from all unrighteousness. You know, when I preach this, so often people think, oh, you know, the pastor's just preaching hard at us. No, 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 no. The Bible says this is a two-edged sword. I get cut 
before I cut you. The word is sharp. If I'm not preaching from my own heart, guess what? I'm, I'm not preaching the gospel. I'm helping you. But my desire is that you live a holy life. My desire is that we take this word to heart, that we allow sanctification to take place. Because if we don't, this disease will act like a gangrene. It'll act like a cancer on the inside of you. And what is a little bit painful today will become very painful in the future. Let's cut this cancer out. Let's stop. Let's repent. Let's come back to Jesus. Let's come back to consecration. Let's come back to sanctification. Let's stop all this nonsense of the church is a bless me club. God wants you blessed. But he wants your character. He wants your heart. He wants your life. Amen? Amen? Those of you that are watching on television, watching by video, I want to encourage you. There's a phone number there. Call that number right now. Look, you may not be in a cell group. You need to get in a cell You may not be in a church. You may not know where there is a church. Call that number. We'll help you find a church. You may need help. You may feel like, I have sinned so bad that God could never forgive me. The very fact you're listening to this program means there's hope for you. Call. But don't leave it. Don't just play church. Get, let God get a hold of you today. You get a hold of God. Consecrate yourself. Say, I want to do this. Repent. Somebody on the other end of that line can help you. If they can't, they can get you to somebody who can. A pastor, a counselor. Somebody who can help. Don't take your life. Oh, it seems it's impossible today, but I'm going to tell you something. Don't take your life. Just around the corner, there's hope. Just around the corner, you're going to say, I am so glad that I'm still here. There's a blessing. We love you. We'll see you again next week. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.